hopefully some of you noticed uh, uh, my message title and uh, figured uh, at least some of you told me you already know the answer, um, which is good, uh, because the, uh, the question that I had for you is... Um, where did Bay? Oh, excuse me, I got ahead of myself here. There we go. Well, all right. Uh, yeah, exactly. Where do babies come from? Apparently, you can buy some on a shelf. Uh, but I will say, if you're here this morning, and again, I get the blue and I get the pink. I'm not quite sure what the brown represents, but anyway, um, if you don't know where babies come from, I simply will tell you: ask your mom. Uh, because if you ask your dad, he's going to tell you to ask your mom. Uh, um, so anyway, I, you already saw the next question is, where do puppies come from? Now, uh, I thought I knew the answer to that question uh, until this very week. Um, I realized that technology changes everything. And if you think you know where puppies come from, uh, think again as you watch this video. where puppies come from. Um, the, the next question is, uh, where do calves come from? Because I'm pretty sure they're not drone delivered. Um, but, but we have a couple of, uh, of uh, 4-H'ers here, and, uh, and I'll pick on the girls. Um, we know that you know where calves come from, uh, but imagine with me that you've got your herd, all right, and you can't buy any more, all right, and your cows stop having calves, what happens to your herd? Then eventually your herd just goes away, doesn't it? You're not helping me much, girls. All right. I thought I could count on you. Um, so we, we got where babies come from. We got where puppies come from. We got where calves come from. Um, and, and I should have said at the beginning, my, my goal today, sometimes I come up here and I have a goal for you to take some kind of action. Uh, today, my goal is for you to think and pray. So, babies come from mommies and daddies. Puppies don't come from drones. They come from dogs. Calves come from cows. So, where do churches come from? God, is he delivering by drone or? Um... (laughs) 
Think about it, folks. This is important. Where do churches come from? They don't just magically appear. Somehow, they have to come into existence. So to you today, I will tell you, happy birthday. Um, 34 years ago this very day, May 17, 1981, Caring Community Church had its first service. I have no idea who those two people are, uh, but... (laughs) Friends, you need to understand, this is not about us. This is about where churches come from. Okay, because if we understand where churches come from, then we understand what it takes for the church to continue to move forward. And and that's what I want you to think about. That's what I want you to pray about today, is what does it take for churches to come to move forward? We sang that song, How Great Thou Art. And I just want to say something. Diane and I had this conversation this week, and periodically we have this conversation. Friends, if I could label that guy in the blue shirt, besides being incredibly fashionable, um, I would label him clueless all right friends the very fact (laughs) that the very fact the very fact that this church is in existence today is an incredible testimony to the power of god there is simply no way that would have happened if it was dependent upon anything that Diane and I brought to the table. And I need you to grasp that. Because the next question is, where do pastors come from? Where do pastors come from? They're not drone delivered. Where do children's ministry workers come from? By the way, if you put something on Facebook, it's fair game, just so you know. She's, she's even wondering, where do children's workers come from? Where do worship leaders come from? If you can read the sign, apparently they come from Missouri. But um, Where do worship leaders come from? They come from seats just like yours. I'm going to talk about it in greater detail two weeks from today. I didn't grow up sitting in a seat where you're at or in a classroom like those down the hall thinking, oh, 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 when I grow up I want to be a pastor. It didn't work that way. But somewhere along the line something changed. And that's what I want you guys to wrestle with today. For some reason, I've turned this off, so we're going to read it from up here. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 13, only because I can't see well enough to read it from back there. Um, 
But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So again, we start with that concept of this is something that God has given. So to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Some translations say he called some to be pastors, some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be teachers. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Friends, I simply want to suggest to you, and I picked that picture behind, because unless we grasp this concept that the pastors, the teachers, the local board of administration members, the children's workers, the worship leaders come from the very seats that we occupy, the church as we know it will eventually cease to exist, just like the dairy herd ceases to exist if there aren't any calves coming on the scene. And that's what I want us to grasp today. In church circles, we sometimes talk about the whole idea of being called especially when it relates to vocational ministry. But I want to contend today that a sense of calling is not about vocational ministry. It is about uh, choosing to serve in the fullest extent, in the fullest capacity that God has gifted and equipped and trained you to serve. Uh, I'll finish that. Dictionary says, Call is to summon to a particular activity, employment, or office. A strong desire to spend your life doing a certain kind of work. Or a strong inner impulse toward a particular course of action, especially when accompanied by conviction of divine influence. A sense of there is a purpose, and I'm seeking to fulfill that purpose. As I said, I'm going to talk about that from my perspective in a couple of weeks. But I want to say again, this is not just about vocational ministry. This is about, as Reuben talked about, the financial aspect. This is about choosing to invest in the local body of which you are a part. So, we okay back there? <laughs> okay. Um, so, I've asked a couple of folks that you guys know well to come and share a little bit about their journey in this process. So Kathleen and Barb, if you guys would come up. Go ahead. Go ahead and have a seat. Um, Barbara, I'm going to start with you. Um, you've obviously been serving in children's ministry for some period of time. Um, 
tell us when, how, why you first began to play a role in teaching children. Well, I was saved at a young age, but in our youth group, in our church, um, we had a youth advisor or sponsor, but the sponsor didn't, didn't lead the youth services. The, and so she gave me the book. <laughs> and so I started teaching our teens About at, how old? at 15. At 15. But um, over the years, I've taught adult classes and 7th and 8th grade classes and elementary age classes and preschool classes and most currently the, the little 2- and 3-year-olds. Okay. Kathleen, what about you? At what age did you begin to cultivate an interest in music specifically? I don't think that I recall an age when I wasn't interested in music. Um, I can remember my mom at a very young age, maybe five years old, taking me with one of my best friends at the time to a gymnastics class and seeing if I wanted to join in on gymnastics and me responding to her, no, that's okay. I'll just wait till we have a piano and I can take piano lessons. <laughs> so, and at some point they got a little chord organ for those who are old enough to remember chord organs where you pushed a button on one side and played keys on the other. And I can remember my mom hauling that into first grade so I could play a song for show and tell. Yeah. <laughs> and, and how did your interest in music first become connected to the church? Um, I started being involved as soon as, you know, I was old enough to, to be in, in church um, music. So in what fifth ways? grade, I was in church choir. Okay. So there was a children's choir in my church that I grew up in. So fifth grade, I was part of the children's choir. And then as a junior high student, high school student, they had a youth choir. So I participated in that. We often had youth services, or like once a year had youth services, so I played the piano um, for those. I dread to think what the poor congregation <laughs> endured, but played piano for those youth services, and I learned a lot along the way. And then as I um, grew into a college student, I joined InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and because college, um, pianos don't store well in dorm rooms, I played guitar during that time, but I led worship in a very rudimentary level at, uh, at InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Okay, then, so you were, you, I'm sorry. After that. You were college age when you first started actually facilitating worship in some exactly. way, shape, yeah. even though it may, as you said, be rudimentary. Yes. So. <laughs> All right. Um, Barb, so it's been a few years if you started when you were 15, and we won't get into how many years it's been. So um, is it fair to say that over the years um, your service and the way you view your service has changed? Yes. Um, originally, I started because we just needed a teacher. That was, I mean, in the youth group, we just needed a teacher. That's all. There was a need. In the other classes, um, the adults and the teens, um, it was more, I enjoyed the study time because I learned so much more than what was taught. Okay. And for me, it was a growing and a learning of knowledge and information and the opportunity to share that information with others. When I started teaching the preschool in particular, it really became difficult. And it, it became more of a, um, rather than sharing knowledge that, that I had obtained, it was learning how to help the children understand that God loves them and that he has a plan for their lives. And when I started teaching two- and three-year-olds, that has been the most difficult. They, you can't teach concepts. You can't, you can't teach 
you can't even really teach much information. They're, they're all touch and feel and taste and experience. And so being there has driven me to my knees more so than any other teaching experience to each week asking God, what do you want these children to know from your word today that they can hang on to and live with? Okay, okay. So from that time when you first started till today, every step of the way you feel like in, in addition to providing information and instruction, you've been growing throughout the entire process. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. All right. Kathleen, you've talked before in different settings that, that I've been in about receiving what you've referred to as a, as a mantle of worship. Um, explain that a little bit and explain what that means for those who may not be familiar with that type of a concept. Um, Ruben and I, from about a year after we got married, started serving on worship teams in the churches that we were in. Um, and we moved to Michigan back in 1989 and attended a church over in Ann Arbor. And somewhere in the early 90s, there was a worship conference that we went to with our worship team. It was led by um, a couple of worship leaders who were quite popular in the 90s, Garrett Gustafson and Randy Stonehill. No, Randy Rothwell. Rothwell. Yeah, Randy Rothwell. Sorry, Stonehill was like a different guy. Anyway. But he was good. He was very good. <laughs> I liked him a lot. Anyway, Garrett Gustafson at this conference said, I don't have faith for a lot of things, but this I have faith for, and that is if you want to receive a mantle of worship, stand up and I will pray for you to receive that mantle of worship. And, and I have faith that you will receive that mantle of worship. And I understood that to be a special anointing as a worshiper and a worship leader. I only served as a keyboard player and a vocalist on worship teams. I had not led worship um, really in a team setting and a church setting by myself at that point. And I had a terrible sense of anxiety because I was there with my worship team and I thought well if I stand that means the rest of the worship team knows that I don't feel that I have this mantle of worship (laughs) and that could be embarrassing to me but if I don't stand I could miss out on something that God has for me and I really felt tremendous pressure and anxiety in that moment and I eventually did stand up and I think that God even though nothing really in the natural world changed immediately something did change in my spirit and um, When you say something changed in your spirit, um, help me understand that a little bit. Um, I guess it helped me to see myself as more than somebody who sings and somebody who plays keyboard and somebody who helps facilitate music. It helped me see myself as a worshiper, and and that's beyond just making music. Um, And so I really began to explore more what does that mean? What does the Bible have to say about worship? What does it mean to worship God? Um, I guess, does that... So that was the early 90s and we're now 2015 what's changed um, over those years from that moment you said obviously there was something changed within you um, but what's what's taken place since then I think since then God has just taught me what it means to really worship to worship in any place and any time and to any style of music and um, he obviously brought us here in 96 and uh, over the course of our years here, God raised me up to help lead worship in this church congregation. And he's certainly taught me a huge amount along the way. So, You've talked about what God has done to bring you along this journey. And Barb referenced how 
where she's at now after many years of experience, she finds herself more desperate for God to help her do what she does. It would be tempting, I would suspect, for Barb to say, I've been doing this long, I got this, I can just pull something out of the hat every week. Um, In addition to what God has done, what have you done to more completely fill that role? I think just to be a lifelong learner, to go to conferences, read books, uh, watch YouTube videos, whatever I can to, to... be better trained as a worshiper to get around people who understand worship and to to learn from those people who know something that I don't know. Um, Just this last semester, taking Worship Foundations 200, which was a Spring Arbor class, was kind of a huge step because it really helped me to see things from different perspectives since there was a professor who was older than myself and he'd been in the worship arena for a really long time. But there was also 20-year-olds who bring a very different perspective to worship and they're just beginning that journey. Um, But I learned an awful lot from just interacting with them. So just to be around a lot of people who are thinking about worship and asking questions, asking what's God doing now, how do we join him in that, where's the church going, I thought that was a really beneficial experience for me. Okay. Barb, um, you, you, you hinted at it a little bit, but I, I would have you specifically speak to how is your life different because you have taken your service to a deeper level? I believe my prayer life has really deepened. Um, learning that God is sufficient in all ways, at all times. Um, I, I think my, my mind is open to remembering that I have so much to learn yet. Okay. So, so far to go. Okay. I'm definitely far from there. All right. All right. Kathleen, same question for you. Um, because you chose to respond to that invitation to receive a mantle of worship, um, what has changed over the long haul? I think God has definitely deepened my relationship with him and and asked me to be dependent on him. Um, Honestly, I would love to be in my own corner playing the piano. I don't love to play the piano in front of other people. I don't love to talk in front of other people or sing in front of other people. Um, So God has taken those... um, gifts that he gave me and asked me to take them outside of where I'm comfortable and as I've said many times be comfortable with being uncomfortable um, and just just the upfront part of being a worship leader was not part of my natural bent but I think in that way God keeps me humble because I have to really rely on him because they aren't my natural desire um, I would think that's the biggest thing he just pushes me to be what he needs me to be rather than me doing that in my own strength Okay. At the risk of being misinterpreted or misunderstood, um, I'm going to go on a limb here. And we've all heard the, uh, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Not that I'm suggesting these are old dogs, all right? Um, but many of you have heard the other way of looking at it. And the, the quickest way or the easiest way not to become an old dog is to keep learning new tricks. And, and I, think, I think these gals have, have both spoken to the fact that if we are open to it as we journey with God, it is one of continual development and continued growth. 
And so the, the bonus question that I had told you ladies I might answer, and you guys can look at each other and decide who goes first with it, um, but is uh, what advice would you give to those people that are here listening and those who, are, who will eventually listen to the, to the recording about uh, receiving or embracing uh, a prompt uh, from God to move from filling a role to something more? Age before beauty. <laughs> I, I think I would advise anyone, um, fill a role, first of all, just because it's needed. And then wait for God to tell you where he really wants you to be. But in the meantime, be active. Be active where you are. Um, spend time in his word. Asking him to open your heart to hear what he has for you. Absolutely. And then... Don't be afraid to step out and go. Amen. Amen. She has so much wisdom. <laughs> I'm so glad God has placed me with people like you, Barb. I'm not sure I can add to that. Uh, but to say you just have to get outside your comfort zone. Fill a role. Figure out some of your natural strengths, some of your supernatural giftings, and then get on the journey. You know, I think um, sometimes journeying with God is like being on a bike ride. Or if you're a motorcycle enthusiast, maybe it's on a motorcycle ride. And sometimes... It's exhilarating, and you're going down hills, and it's just amazing, and sometimes you're pedaling uphill, and it's hard, hard work, and um, there's no better place to be than on the journey, on the ride with God, and if you don't get into a role, if you don't get into a place of ministry, you're kind of missing out on a piece of that journey, and I'm sorry, because you get to see some amazing things in that journey when you're filling a role, and eventually you have a sense of calling and you do ministry I wouldn't give that up for anything if the Lord um, heaven forbid put me to bed and I was sick and I couldn't get out of bed I still think I'd have a ministry I, whatever it was it would be something I could do from in the bed you know as long as you're alive you have a ministry and it doesn't even matter how old you are we don't retire till we get to heaven so Great. outstanding um, start where you're at um, don't be afraid to try. Get comfortable being uncomfortable. Um, but always be open to something more, to, to taking it to uh, another level. Um, I, I suspect each of them, you know, I suspect that moment when the, the youth leader put a book in a 15-year-old's hand, there's a bit, bit of me. <laughs> Kathleen, Kathleen talked about her sense of, um, I, I want to stand, but I, I'm not sure what it, what it entails. Um, and, and again, I know that that's my own experience. It's like, are you sure? Because this doesn't make sense. Um, so start where you're at uh, and always be willing for, for something more. And, uh, and the other thing I would say, don't settle. Yes, filling a role is awesome. But always be open to saying, you know what, maybe there's something more, there's something different um, that God wants to do in and through me. So. Would you pray with me? 
Father, I suspect each of these ladies uh, and would emphasize, and, and I would emphasize as well, uh, it's, it's not about us as individuals. It's about a willingness to be used by an incredibly powerful, loving, and amazing God. And Father, it is the same God that wants to work in the life of each and every person uh, who is connected with this message in some way, shape, or form. And so, Father, um, we simply ask you uh, to give each of us that strong inner impulse toward a particular course of action. And, Father, we want this sense that that comes by the prompting and the power of your Holy Spirit. Because that's what you have called all of us to do. We are all called to a life of serving you. We are all called to a life of being engaged in having our lives transformed and being used to transform the lives of others. So, Father, I thank you for these ladies and their willingness to be um, set as an example. Uh, But, Father, I pray that um, you would stir in each and every heart here to the point that we don't say, well, that's for them, but it's not for me. Father, help us to understand it is for me. It's for each and every one of us. I thank you and I praise you, Father. Amen. Thank you, ladies. You bet.